Welcome back to Hyra Podcast, where today we will be journeying outside of the Outer Rim all the way to wild space. Hi everyone, welcome back to another edition of Star Wars The Hyra Podcast. Last week I wrapped up a three-part series on Star Wars VR, um, which was a lot of fun for me to uh, record because part of my research for it was replaying all of the Vader Immortal titles and even checking out um, some of the other uh, VR videos that Lucasfilm ILMX Lab has put out. So that was really fun. Um, this week I'm transitioning into something new to look at Wild Space and some of the books that have come out um, around this theme. Um, I got started into this because, uh, as I mentioned um, a couple weeks ago on one of my um, episodes, uh, you know, a lot has changed since the COVID-19 pandemic um, has occurred. And one of those things has been around publishing and um, comics have basically um, stopped printing uh, since uh, this whole outbreak began, and they've even stopped the digital releases of the comics as well. So a lot of what I had planned on covering week to week is no longer being produced. Obviously, you know, hopefully uh, books will still be coming out. They're still, um, you know, releasing teasers for some stuff like the Clone Wars anthology. Uh, I guess that they're thinking that, you know, selling audiobooks and ebooks, that the volume there um, of what they will sell will be okay, even if they are not able to physically move copies of the books as fast as they would. Plus, a lot of people buy, you know, books online. Um, and so maybe they're thinking that it's it'll still be okay to release a book. But I think that because so much of comic sales are in physical releases, from stores since, you know, it's not economical to, to order on Amazon an individual comic to have shipped to your house. Um, that maybe you know, with, with Marvel's um, business model, they're not able to release things. So it's been hard for me to kind of think about what else I should cover in lieu of what I had planned to be covering um, on this podcast. Uh, one thing that I covered in the podcast is the app uh, Hoopla, um, which is available through my library and may be available through your local library as well. Um, it's a great app because uh, unlike other um, digital library platforms where you have to like wait on a book to be available, um, and with Star Wars books, they tend to be really popular and you could be waiting in my library network for months to get um, Star Wars content on there. Uh, unlike that, Hoopla has content that's just totally open, so as many people as want it can have it out at one time. There's no wait for anything. Um, the downside is that the selection is a lot more limited, so with Star Wars content, there's not a lot of uh, adult content on there, you know, adult using the term adult loosely because there are a lot of young adult books, which a lot of adults also read, myself included. So, for example, Galaxy's Edge, A Crash of Fate is on there, um, which was a great book. The Ahsoka novel is on there, which was also excellent. There's um, quite a few things, and there's also quite a few um, older comics on there. Um, I mean, when I say older, I'm not talking like the old, old ones, but I mean, you know, like a couple years ago um, down uh, in the in the main Star Wars line in particular they have on here. So there really is quite um, a bit, and there's even more of the, the young reader stuff. So one of the things that they have on here, um, I think in full, is the uh, the Wild Space series. So these books are, um, you know, short books. Um, they are designed for kids, uh, and they, you know, are much more kind of loosely connected to um, Star Wars canon 
than are the young adult books, just in the sense that they, you know, they tend to cover um, characters that aren't going to show up anywhere else. You know, they don't focus on things from uh, from the legacy, um, you know, Star Wars characters. They also, uh, you know, are definitely not as kind of serious, like galaxy-wide implications <laughs> type stories. These are much more small-scale stories. Um, but, you know, they're, they're um, definitely interesting, and I had not really read much from this kind of level. Um, you know, young adult is usually kind of as uh, young of reader books as I go, um, personally. So I, I was just kind of thinking, you know, it's it's an interesting time in the world. I don't have access to what I normally have in terms of new um, content, so why not, you know, try something different? And so um, I decided to go ahead and dive into the first of the Wild Space uh, series. And, um, you know, I didn't really have too much of an expectation, in part because I didn't really know you know, what uh, Wild Space even is, um, in part because it's not really covered too much in other Star Wars canon. Um, so that led me to do a little bit of an investigation, you know, uh, not, not a very serious investigation, mostly using Wikipedia, um, which is an awesome resource for all of us fans, um, and just kind of doing some searching and, and, and learning around what Wild Space is. So before I jump into actually talking about the books, um, I wanted to talk about what is Wild Space and kind of what's its significance, um, and, you know, what connections could it potentially have to future canon, since its connections to current canon are actually really limited. So according to Wikipedia, Wild Space is an unmapped part of the galaxy. They say that uh, the unknown regions are mapped but unexplored, whereas Wild Space is is just unmapped. Um, I find that description to be a little curious because the unknown regions, um, you know, aren't really mapped until, uh, you know, the sequel trilogy. We, we start to learn about the secret maps that exist to get out to the unknown regions. But in general, the unknown regions were thought to be pretty um, unaccessible. So um, I did find that description a little curious, but I think that the main main difference here is that the unknown regions are really hard to even travel to, um, whereas the wild space regions aren't difficult to travel to, they just haven't been um, particularly well um, mapped or explored. So that's kind of the difference. Now, it's interesting that this exists because in Star Wars canon, we never really get the sense that there's a lot out there that hasn't been explored. Certainly, we don't really get much um, of an exploration theme in Star Wars. We as the viewers are exploring, but the Star Wars characters aren't really exploring. I mean, for example, in the original trilogy, you know, Tatooine is supposed to be the the edge of the galaxy, at least according to Luke Skywalker, when he says that, you know, if there is a bright center to the universe, you're on the planet that it's furthest from. Um, and even as kind of an out-of-the-way um, rock, as, as the characters sometimes think of it and refer to it, uh, Tatooine really has a lot going on. There's a lot of activity there. There's a major crime syndicate. There's a lot of um, people coming and going from different parts of the galaxy. And, um, you know, there, there's certainly nothing unexplored about it. It's a well-known, um, or at least, you know, easy enough to find destination. And if you think about it, going through all of the original trilogy films, there's never really much of a sense of exploration, like, oh, we have to go out and search for this, or we don't know how to get to this place, or we're the first people here. You know, usually they're going to populated planets, um, and even when they're unpopulated, you know, we think about, like, Hoth, and uh, it's not so much that Hoth is, like, unknown or uncharted or, you know, difficult to get to. Um, it's just that it's it's 
not an important planet, you know? And there are so many planets that it takes the Empire a while to find it, but it's not like the Empire needs to go on some adventure to, like, track down Hoth and how to get there. They know exactly how to get there. They just had no reason to believe anyone was sitting around on that particular planet. So exploration is really not a theme of the original trilogy, and even thinking back to the to the prequel era, um, it's not really a theme there either. You know, there's never any hint of there being planets that are just like, you know, no one knew it was there, or it's a total mystery, or anything along those lines. Um, it's it's just not really a theme. You know, we do get in the prequels uh, a lot of talk around um, trade routes, so we get some sense of the idea that, you know, the hyperspace lanes are important and that they're not something to just kind of take totally for granted. But there's never this sense of um, of kind of like journeying, mapping. That's just not a theme of Star Wars like it is, for example, in Star Trek. Um even I think where there are aspects of kind of an adventure in Star Wars or like um, going and searching for things that are mysterious and unknown, you know, it, it's always just that the characters didn't know about that planet, you know, it was obscure or, or what have you. The closest that we really get is with Kamino um, and Obi-Wan trying to track that down, and that's because it's been deleted from the map. Anyway, things really change in the sequel trilogy where all of a sudden uh, everything is about searching for, <laughs> for someone. Um, so the whole theme throughout The Force Awakens is that Luke Skywalker is missing and he has to be found. And even when they get the map, it's not a full map. You know, it doesn't reveal the full mystery. They have to continue trying to put the pieces together to be able to go and find him. So this idea of like mapping and tracking someone down and going into unexplored territory that really comes into play in the sequels. And that's the first time on film where we start to get that kind of a vibe. And it really does continue, um, not so much in um, The Last Jedi, but certainly in The Rise of Skywalker, where, again, a huge theme for the whole movie is trying to get uh, their hands on the Wayfinder so that Rey can take the mysterious journey that Kylo takes and go out and find the uh, Emperor and destroy him. So it's really only recently that we've kind of gotten to this whole vibe around mapping, exploration, and uh, it's interesting that they're, you know, kind of exploring it in this wild space series um, and using this whole concept of wild space instead of talking about the unknown regions. When the unknown regions have been uh, a really important part of the sequel era and really kind of the whole Disney timeline, so even though we don't get to see much of the unknown regions, they're really important for the story in terms of explaining how the First Order was able to hide and then return to power and to explain where the Emperor was for all of this time and why uh, he's able to return. So it's interesting to me that they decided to focus on, you know, a different area that otherwise is not important to the story. And maybe that's why they did it. Maybe they decided, you know, rather than um, spoiling potential plot points in a, you know, a children's series, uh, that they would use the same kind of idea, but give it a different name and um, use that instead. So maybe that's why they decided to do it. Or maybe Wild Space will eventually, you know, play some more um, important or at least bigger role in the rest of canon. And we just don't know about it yet. Those are both possibilities. So I'm going to take a quick break. And then when I come back, I'm going to jump into what we know about Wild Space, um, you know, just based on a few of the canon appearances that it's had and what we see in the first book of the Wild Space series, which, by the way, um, is called The Snare. That's the title of the first one in the series if you want to check it out for yourselves. Anyway, I'll be right back after a quick break. 
So what have we seen of Wild Space from other canon sources, aside from the Wild Space uh, series of books? Well, the most prominent example is probably Mortis, which if you are even a casual fan of the Clone Wars, uh, you will know about as being um, one of the really most interesting parts. Also a planet that was scheduled to uh, appear in Colin Trevorrow's version of Episode 9, which come to think <laughs> may mean that, you know, at the time when they were writing these books and playing them out, they may have thought that Wild Space was going to have at least somewhat more of a prominent appearance in Star Wars canon uh, until his version of Episode 9 was changed for, um, you know, the one that we eventually got from J.J. Abrams. Um, there's also a couple other examples um, where uh, we have connections of characters from these planets, even though we don't get to see much or any of the planets. So, for example, um, the Lasat people are um, from a wild space planet known as Lyra San, and we have Zeb from Rebels, um, the big furry uh, purple character, if you're not too familiar with Rebels. Um, we we have him who comes from a, a planet out in wild space, which we don't get to, um, to see because it's already basically destroyed by the Empire by the time of uh, Rebels. And we also get Eli Vanto, who is from the new Thrawn trilogy. Not the new one that's starting in the fall, but the, the new canon one, um, not the old Thrawn trilogy, um, the original one. So Eli Vanto is um, basically Thrawn's right-hand man. Uh, they started coming up together um, in the Imperial Academy after Thrawn was, uh, was basically discovered um, or allowed himself to be discovered by the Imperials. Um, and Eli Vanto is from a planet on um, um, wild space known as Lasatra. Uh, and basically what we learned from the, the Thrawn books is that, you know, Eli's planet is considered very, very backwater, like even more backwater than Tatooine. Um, he, in the audiobook, has a kind of southern twangy accent, which is interesting. Um, you know, they, they really are looked at as like, you know, kind of backcountry folk. They're, they're looked down upon by, you know, even kind of outer rim folks in the galaxy. So we, we certainly learned that it's unusual to have an officer from Wild Space, and uh, we also learned from that series that the um, the Wild Space regions had some amount of trade with the Unknown Regions, because we have Thrawn species um, who are from the Unknown Regions, um, and the Chiss, and they have been in communication with um, some of Eli's, you know, family, basically. His family um, is involved in shipping, and um, they speak a language, while not the Chiss language, um, they have a language that's kind of in common, that is kind of somewhere between the two languages where, um, where some Chiss know the language from having traded with people in this part of wild space. So um, definitely we learn from that that, you know, wild space uh, has some kind of a connection to the unknown regions, perhaps being, um, you know, either more reachable to the unknown regions, or maybe, for example, the Chiss were more likely to, to trade with these planets that weren't as closely connected to the core, or they may not have, um, you know, drawn as much notice, or, you know, run into the various governments, you know, the, the, the Republic, or the Empire, or the New Republic. So um, that's certainly an interesting little tidbit, although, you know, we really don't get to learn too much about where, where Eli is from, aside from that. 
Now, another planet um, that is in the um, wild space region is Teth, which appeared in the Clone Wars film um, and also appeared in Master and Apprentice, which is the book um, about Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon before The Phantom Menace. And so we know that, you know, even before the prequel era, um, certainly a few years before, that the uh, wild space region was, you know, known to members of the Republic and wasn't off limits to, you know, even Jedi Knights um, as as kind of uh, the peacekeepers of the new, uh, oh, of the old Republic, rather. We also, from um, the post-Empire uh, era, get a little bit of information on what may be happening in wild space, and that is in uh, the Aftermath series, we have a character um, called Elodie Marikavanya, who uh, is called the Pirate Ruler of Wild Space, Basically, along with a team of pirates, jacked a super star destroyer, the Annihilator, and are flying it around um, through the wild space region, which certainly suggests that there's some amount of lawlessness, particularly after the fall of the Empire, which really makes sense when we look at something like the Mandalorian and we see that even in the Outer Rim, um, you know, the New Republic is not uh, very quick to come in and actually impose any kind of law. Um, so it makes sense that in wild space there would be even less so. Um, so maybe this is something that could also come up uh, in the, the um, upcoming seasons of the Mandalorian. And, you know, there are a couple more examples of planets and things like the Clone Wars that are in wild space, but that is really um, basically it. That's all that we know. We, we really don't know too much um, beyond what is, you know, presented to us in this series of books that is focused on wild space. So maybe we'll learn more in the High Republic era. Um, I think that that will definitely make sense that if the High Republic period um, is one of exploration and if during that period they are... Um, you know, kind of better connecting the Outer Rim planets to the Republic, it would make sense that the wild space region would be kind of the next frontier for them. And maybe, you know, the the wild space era wasn't even discovered or wasn't explored at all um, until that period. And, you know, it, it kind of, uh, maybe they, they were making progress and then with with the Republic starting to, to decline, with the conflict that comes about in the High Republic era, maybe that's why, you know, they didn't make as much progress as they thought they would have in terms of mapping the um, wild space region, um, you know, by the time of the, the original trilogy. So that's definitely a possibility. When we think about the, the main antagonists of the High Republic era, the Nile, you know, it would make sense if, if some or all of those pirates even came from, from wild space. And maybe as the Republic kind of started to move in and uh, really, you know, connect the dots um, with the outer uh, rim region, maybe the wild space folks felt like you know, they were going to be next uh, unless they did something about it to stop the Republic from continuing its expansion. So that could definitely be a possibility too. Um, we'll have to wait and see on that. Um, but in the meantime, we do have this whole series of um, young reader books uh, that is focused on wild space. And um, I'm going to start to discuss the first book a little bit uh, today in the time that I have left on uh, this edition of the podcast. And then I will continue reading. I don't know that I'll get through the whole series. Um, I guess I'll see how much I like it and um, see what y'all think. But uh, I'm at least going to, you know, I've read the first book in the series and I'm going to go on and read the second one. Um, they're only like 150 pages each. Um, so they're very fast reads. Uh, I've been reading them um, during, during you know, little bits of downtime. And uh, so I'll, I'll at least read the next couple and I'll, I'll see how it goes. Um, but anyway, as I mentioned before, the first book is called The Snare. This book takes place between episodes three and four. Um, so after, you know, the creation of the Empire, but before the 
original trilogy. Um, and it follows a young girl named um, Lena Graf and her brother Milo, uh, as well as their droid Crater, and a monkey lizard named Mork, <laughs> and they are aboard their ship called the Whisperbird. Um, basically, the, the, the summary of the plot is that um, their parents had been taken by the Empire. Um, they had been working on mapping wild space. And the book says that wild space had become valuable property um, at this point in galactic history. And so the Empire really wanted those maps. And when their parents wouldn't give them up, they, their parents got taken into custody. So the kids suddenly find themselves in charge of the ship and on the run and trying to figure out what to do. And they head to a planet called Thune. Um, they uh, there meet an associate of their parents who is a Sullustan named Dill, um, hoping that he will be able to help them um, because they're, you know, they're on the run. They're having to evade the Empire. Um, they very luckily were able to find some uh, codes to be able to get past the, uh, the, the planet's kind of, you know, blockade or um, security and be able to land. Um, but unfortunately, when they go and find Dill, um, he has been turned by the Empire in a very kind of Lando Calrissian way, um, where, you know, basically the Empire came to him and said, you need to help us uh, capture these kids or, you know, we'll, we'll kill you and we'll still end up getting them and it'll just turn out worse for them. Um, so their, their parents kind of friend betrays them um, and they end up having to try to escape the Empire's clutches. Um, they are being pursued by um, an Imperial named Captain Corda. Um, there are a couple of illustrations in this book, which is kind of fun to get to see um, some of what they're talking about. Uh, and that's one of the things that I, I like about the younger um, reader Star Wars books is that you get those illustrations. Um, I, I really do like it. And I wish that even more uh, adult books had some illustrations, especially for, you know, planets or characters or ships that we don't get to see uh, in comics or, or movies or TV where we would know what they look like. Um, and interestingly, um, Captain Corda uh, has a um, metal um, jaw, like basically, you know, his, his jaw had gotten blown off um, and it's been replaced by, by a metal one, which definitely reminded me of Admiral Carius from Vader Immortal, the VR series that I just finished covering, where one of the characters um, that, that Admiral has, you know, like half of his face um, is, is now metal um, from, you know, some kind of a uh, war injury or it's, it's alluded may, may have had something to do with Vader. Um, so yeah, um, that's immediately what I thought of when I, when I saw the, the illustration of Captain Corda. Um, basically, you know, they, they spend the first book, um, saving their ship from destruction, <laughs> landing their ship, um, then getting tied up with the, with the empire, um, and having to, to be on the run from them. Um, you know, it's a pretty good story just in terms of having a lot of action. Um, it's light, uh, it's not too silly, even though it's definitely, you know, an, an easy read for, for an adult. Um, but overall, you know, I, I was entertained and um, in the first book, we really don't learn much about wild space other than the fact that, you know, the the Empire really wants to continue this this mapping. And presumably that's to be able to go and take over these planets and exploit them like the Empire does with everything. But we don't really learn too much about their um, motivations. All we know is that towards the end of the book, we get a... Um, a peek at Darth Vader, who is overseeing the, the mission and um, is basically who Captain Corda is reporting to. And we see that this is a, you know, a big deal, a high priority for Darth Vader. So if it's a priority of his, it's obviously a priorities of the Empire as well. Um, I, you know, find it interesting also that it's this independent family that's out there mapping. So, um, 
to me, that suggests that in the Republic that we know from the, the prequel era, that they, um, you know, there must not have been much kind of exploration um, going on during that time, which totally matches up with what we're learning about the High Republic. And, you know, that was supposed to be the kind of height of the Republic civilization. And um, what we see in the prequels is, you know, the Republic not only falling to Palpatine, but also already in decline. And that to me lines up with this because, you know, if it's these kind of random explorers who are out there mapping the, the galaxy, um, you know, it doesn't speak too highly of, of the government that, you know, they have more information than the government does about these planets. Um, you know, presumably it should be the, the Republic that was doing this and now the Empire and the Empire is trying to strong arm them into handing over the information, um, you know, presumably to kind of fast track things. Uh, it's also interesting that the Empire isn't just going out and mapping the wild space region themselves. Um, I don't know if that's just to, you know, a convenient um, thing to give us this story and to be able to tell the story of, of this family and these kids. Um, or maybe, you know, something about the nature of the mapping will explain that. Maybe, um, you know, you have to get lucky in mapping the wild space regions and this family happened to get lucky and, you know, accomplish a lot more mapping than the Empire uh, would be able to do um, unless they too get lucky and happen to stumble upon something that you know leads to the next thing etc so I'm hoping that in the in the future books we'll learn more about um, what mapping wild space actually looks like and uh, maybe that will you know give us a little bit of, of hints around what could be going on in the in the high republic uh, era too um, so that's, you know, basically, um, the, the plot of the book. I mean, there's a lot of details that I could get into. Uh, there is a canal chase, which was, um, kind of funny. There are, uh, some, uh, insects that are very pesky and that, um, definitely get used to the hero's advantage. I'll, I'll let you read the rest and, uh, and figure out, um, what that means. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much the story of the book. I mean, it's a pretty simple story, you know, that I can summarize in a few sentences, um, while also opening up a lot of discussion around, you know, what wild space is and why it might be important to the galaxy and to, to Star Wars canon. The very end of the book also, um, goes, uh, into kind of the, you know, leads into the next, the next book in the series. Um, and that ending is basically as they are escaping the planet, um, they hear a signal that they're not supposed to, a hidden signal that is basically telling people to resist the Empire. And they follow that signal, and that's how the book ends, is them basically using those hyperspace coordinates. And so the next book, um, which I, I just read the first few pages of um, before doing today's podcast, but the next book, which is called The Nest, that book basically starts right off in that point, um, right where, um, you know, they are... Uh, arriving where this signal has been broadcast from. So, um, you know, that will be fun to see too, to kind of see, you know, maybe, um, if the wild space region isn't already part of the empire or at least, you know, wasn't part of the Republic. And so the empire hasn't formally taken it over yet. Um, maybe it would make sense that there would be uh, kind of a resistance out there, you know, to, to the empire coming in. I actually think that one of the interesting things about Star Wars um, that, uh, you know, hasn't been explored much is the idea that the Empire is kind of presented as this, you know, almighty, unstoppable power that's just in charge of everything and does whatever it wants, which is largely true, but they 
they aren't the government for everywhere, so there are plenty of planets that are still independent, and we see that in the original trilogy where, you know, the Empire comes out and takes over Cloud City. Before that, Cloud City was operating on its own. It wasn't under the Empire's jurisdiction until the Empire came in. So even through the, you know, the final days of the Empire, um, it, it was still kind of taking over more territory. So, you know, it makes sense that um, that wild space would have been totally out of the Empire's um, control, you know, certainly when these books are taking place before the original trilogy and maybe even during the original trilogy. So um, I'm excited to continue with the series and see what happens. Um, you know, it's not... Um, it's not the same as reading, you know, adult novels that really have so much detail and so much connection to other things in the Star Wars galaxy um, and, you know, that are a little bit more um, challenging to read. Uh, it's definitely a little bit different to get used to reading something for a, you know, a younger audience that's designed for a younger audience. Um, but I did enjoy it and um, I'm going to keep going and see what happens. So if you haven't read the series, I'd encourage you to um, to catch up with me. If you go um, and you're able to get these books either, um, you know, online through Amazon or something or, uh, or through Hoopla or whatever your library might have, um, you know, you can probably pick them up for free or pretty cheap and uh, uh, and get caught up very fast because, as I said, it only took a couple hours um, of reading and that was like, you know, reading between other things happening or with stuff happening in the background. <laughs> it didn't take all of my focus. So um, the first book is The Snare and um, and then I'm going to read The Nest and cover that one and jump into that on the next edition of the podcast, um, which should be out on Thursday night. So anyway, thanks as always for listening. I hope that you will um, subscribe to the podcast if you're not already, and I hope that you'll tune in for the next edition.